we're beginning to feel the struggle with the resolutions we made uh, on January 1, right? Started kind of, if you make those things, if you're silly enough to do that. But, uh, you know, uh, we begin to feel that. And then as the church, I guess, if you will, we're kind of beginning now that this great holiday of Christmas has passed. We're, we're sort of looking toward Easter. And, you know, kind of, kind of working that way. And as we begin this new year, uh, my thinking uh, often goes to the church calendar. Where are we? What's going on? What's the, the, the cycle here? That uh, sometimes <clears throat> I think that um, we, between the birth of Christ and, if you will, the, the uh, Easter death and resurrection, maybe there's not as much attention given to the life of Jesus. In fact, there have been some arguments that have been made that, uh, that to, to fail to recognize, if you will, um, this uh, life and ministry of Jesus is to fail to understand uh, some pretty significant matters. And so I'd, I'd like to think about over the next week or two, I, I've got another series I'm looking at we're going to go into in the new year. But, but this idea of understanding Jesus came as a baby, some would say, uh, I've even heard people say, you know, at different times he came to die, but he came to do a lot more than that. He did come and die and was resurrected, but there's a lot more going on in Jesus' life and ministry than just to come and die, just to come and lay his life down. So I want to suggest this idea of our topic today is now what? Jesus having been born, and I've got a lot of notes for you because I've got a lot of verses we're going to look at today. Now what? Christmas cannot, in my judgment, be reduced to a single experience one day or an idea of a birth of a sweet little baby. It has to be understood in a, in a multifaceted way of what was God is God up to having Jesus been born? What, what is God up to here? and What does this mean? Now, I'm going to ask you, if you will, uh, to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, the very first uh, book of the New Testament. You can go to your table of contents and find that there. In my Bible, it's page 915. Go to chapter 1. We're going to look at a verse, and it will kind of be the ba basis of uh, some of the considerations uh, that I'd like for us to think about, at least today. In Matthew, it's right after the book of Malachi, and... Uh, <clears throat> I always say, that's what we said in Texas, right up at there, Booker and Malachi. <clears throat> um, we said a lot of things in Texas we don't say anymore. But uh, the scripture says here in chapter 1 about the birth of Jesus, and I just want to kind of draw our attention to this. Uh, in verse 21, kind of jumping in here, the angel telling Mary, she will bear a son, you'll call his name Jesus, because he'll save his people from their sins. We talked about that before Christmas, about the matter of, Jesus saving us not only from the part for the pardon of sin, but saving us from the power of sin. Those are two really important ideas. That, that Jesus not only comes to save us from the, for the pardon of sin, but the power of it. What that means. And then go on. And it says, Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Behold, Isaiah here, the virgin shall be, called, uh, shall be with child and shall bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated means God with us. God with us. So I want to think about here this now what? After the birth of Jesus, after the, the circumstances of that, now what? And this really is, a, a if you will, a, a, a large idea or a, a big theological concept. If you want to know the concept, it's called the incarnation. The incarnation. And 
Over the last several weeks, over the holidays, and actually last year, I've been uh, <clears throat> trying to reflect on this idea of what did it mean for Jesus to become a man? What did it mean for him to come and be incarnated? Uh, and we'll look at that word. The word <clears throat> incarnate means to take on flesh. Literally, to incarnate uh, means to take on flesh. And that word is used. And you know, I was thinking about what does that mean? You know, some of you have businesses or, you know, the church here will say sometimes, um, well, you know, that's not the crossing's way. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, well, we have a certain set of values, have a certain set of, of principles that we live by, and we want people to live those out. That's called incarnating. It's called embodying the values. Here's an example of our university. The university I teach, we have an initiative called Remarkable. Uh, comes out of Chick-fil-A and some other things that they do. I've still been waiting on the sandwiches, but uh, <clears throat> Chick-fil-A has this thing called Remarkable, and they've written a book about that in a business that you should leave a mark on people. It should be remarkable. Now, I asked for some clarification on that when they said, we want to leave a mark on our students. <laughs> I've done that. <clears throat> but I don't know if that's what they're talking about. So I said, I need a little clarification here. And they say, what we want to do is for students to have a remarkable experience. And so every month, there's a person that gets nominated who is recognized for modeling this initiative. In other words, they've modeled, they've incarnated remarkable. They've, they've lived in a certain way or they've acted a certain way towards students or they've done something that students would say, that person is ha given me a remarkable experience. That's what incarnation means. To incarnate or to put flesh on a value or an idea. In this case, it's God. It's God putting on flesh. Now, I want to say to you, I think we've been Christians so long, <clears throat> this may not <clears throat> have the impact it would have had in the first century. For, for people to think about the incarnation. And a concern I have is that we might want to put as much energy and attention into understanding what does this mean as we do in Christmas. Isn't this great? Wasn't it wonderful? The Christmas story, the Christmas message, the Christmas music, all of those kind of things. Those are wonderful things. And we put a lot of energy and effort in that. But what does it mean now that he is with us? What does that mean? So I want to look. You've got a lot of room to write here today. I want you to look at a couple of things. The texts of the incarnation. Let's look at what the Bible says about this. <clears throat> this God with us. In fact, some of you I know are familiar with Dallas Willard and some of his work. Uh, and he call, Dallas Willard calls it the with God life. The with God life. It's that God is with us and our experience in life. And so let's look at this. Now, I, I want to give you a little history in this area. And you may know this. And if you don't, that's okay. There'll be a test next week. Um, <clears throat> that it took a while. I mean, it just took a while for the church to formulate and clarify what did it mean that God became a man. If you think about that for a second, what, what, what does that mean? Is he 
partially God, partially man, all God, all man. What does that mean? And for about 300 years, the church wrestled with this question. Now, it's interesting. For all those years, the church confessed it. They confessed that Jesus is God. But it took a while for them to figure out, if you will, how do we communicate this to pagan cultures and pagan people in a way that makes sense? And if you're interested in that, I've got several resources for you. If you'd like to read St. Athanasius' work on the Incarnation, good luck. And uh, <clears throat> it's a good book, but it's heavy. And so what the church confessed for hundreds of years was able to finally get formulated that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man who proceeds from the Father of one substance, una, said it is, una substantia tres persona, one person and the same substance. This is not part of God, kind of God. This is God in the flesh. So let's look at some passages here. First of all, I want to begin with, if you will, I'm going to uh, move around here just a little bit. If, if you'll look at these passages, go to your table of contents, find the book of Philippians. It's in the New Testament there, one of the, the epistles. You know what those are, right? The wives of the apostles. And uh, I'm going to put that on a test one day, I promise. <clears throat> Those freshmen are just following me with every word I say. Yeah, the epistles, the wives of the apostles. And uh, I, I see them write it down. <clears throat> write it down. It's fun to play around with them sometimes. You know. uh, 1120, my Bible. Uh, Philippians, <clears throat> very, very famous passage. Philippians uh, 2. We'll read here long. Um, and it says this in Philippians chapter 2, <clears throat> the beginning at verse 5. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though all he existed in the form of God. Now that word there, form, is morphe in Greek. It means the actual substance. The morphology of a word is the basic, basic essential understanding of a word. We do words have morphology. How do they where do they come from? What's their essence? What's their background? We get the word sometimes metamorphosis from this word. But it says who there here, although existed in the form of God, in the very ex reality of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to grasp. But he emptied himself, taking on the form, the reality, the real substance of a servant. Notice that there. This one who is God morphe. He's in real essence, God <clears throat> took on the form of a bondservant. The real essence. Now, the, and these words are interesting because they, they, they function back and forth. And being found in the likeness, I mean, that's a different word. The word likeness there means in the similitude of it or the similarity of it, taking on the flesh. What was he in his essence? God, a servant, and human being. Now, this is a deep, deep passage here. I don't contend to, to understand it all. But the idea here is that this very God became very man. Now, you know, you've been Christian too long. When Greeks heard this, they laughed their heads off. I mean, how can God become human? Come on. And even if you think about it a little bit, God becoming a baby. Just let that settle in for just a minute. God submitting himself to the human experience. Only a God 
could do this. Only a God could allow himself to experience the human condition in what we call the incarnation, taking on flesh. Now, there are going to be some reasons we're going to look at that. But, but, but Paul is very clear, and the church is very clear here, through the Nicene Creed and others, that the, the, the coming of Jesus, what now? What now is God is here in the flesh. Go over uh, one book more, Colossians. Just take a right turn. <clears throat> and in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. Really, I mean, it's, let me read this, um, the whole thing. Verse 15 is where it kind of begins here. He's the image, talking of Jesus, of the invisible God. The word icon there means exact representation. He's the image, the icon, the exact representation of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Yeah, I probably say something here. <clears throat> um, this bothers people, and there are some traditions that try to make this idea of firstborn to suggest that Jesus was created and somehow was just another human being that God took a lot of joy in. But the Greek word prototakos here, firstborn, is the word that means the one who is first in honor, not in sequence. Uh, in the Old Testament, Israel is called, you are my firstborn son. Is Israel or the firstborn among the nations? Is Israel the first nation, first nation among the nations? Huh? No way. When he says, you are my, you're my, you're my firstborn among the nations. What does it mean? It's a place of honor. It's a place of, 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 of uh, majesty. <clears throat> so it says he was the firstborn of the creation. I mean, he has the preeminent place here. <clears throat> He's the image of the invisible God. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Sound a little bit like God? <laughs> he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. See, there's the word firstborn again. The place of, of, of honor, the place of preeminence. So that he may come to have first place in everything. For it is the Father's good pleasure that all of the fullness of God dwell in him. Notice that. All of the fullness of God dwell in him. That begs some questions. We don't have a lot of time to unpack that, but I would ask you to go to uh, Ephesians chapter 2 later when it says that you might know the height and depth and breadth and length and the love of God and to know the fullness of God, which is his love. So <clears throat> Colossians says this, that this one who is God became a man. Now go over here to the right, take a few more chapters, and go to Hebrews. Now I'm, I'm, I'm setting all this up because we're going to deal with today not only the text of the incarnation, but the truth of it. What's the truth of this then? What's the truth of this? And then next week, we're going to deal with another piece of this. <clears throat> Ver, uh, chapter 2 of Hebrews, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Here it says in chapter 2, verse 14, Therefore, since the children, talking of Abraham, or human beings, share in flesh and blood, 
He himself also partook of the same. Greek word there, partook, is koinonia, means he participated. He participated in flesh and blood, that he himself partook the same. Why? This, this will, in next week's word, we'll get to this. That through death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Jesus comes in in flesh and blood. Why? To destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. Athanasius says it like this. God can't die. Can God die? No. That's why he took on flesh. That he might experience the human condition at its depths. To be able to die. To trample death by dying. That's a fascinating. Oh, we're we're going to unpack that. So now, now here, that he might free those who through slavery of fear were subject to all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants. Therefore, he had to be made, I'm in verse 17, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become the merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God to make propitiation for sins of the people. He became one of us. Let's go over here back. I'm just going to run to, go backwards here to John, the Gospel of John. Go to your table of contents there. Here we go. Gospel of John. It's on page 1008 in mine. You paid for all those pages? Use them. <clears throat> That's right. <clears throat> yep. You'd have a hard time if I had to get you to go to the book of Clephiticus. But, uh, you know, you, it's one I'm writing. You know, it's kind of a non-canonical version, but it's uh, going to be good. In John 1, this, this, this famous, famous passage. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word, it's interesting here, this uh, preposition is, and this is where we understand this idea of the Trinity. The Word was face to face with God. If you've seen uh, Rubilev's uh, Trinity picture, you see the Trinity there, three persons sitting they're looking at one another. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was face to face with God. And the Word was God. He is in the beginning. He, he was in the beginning as God or with God, and all things came into being through Him. Apart from Him, nothing's come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. So we have the, let's, let's, and you're in John, let's, let's just go listen to Jesus for a second. How about that? That's pretty safe, isn't it? Go over to chapter 8. Jesus here, <clears throat> confronted by <clears throat> Pharisees and Sadducees, um, suggesting that he's uh, not who he said he is, and he's not, uh, um, he, he's told them, you know, you're, you're in your sins, even though you're children of Abraham. And uh, Jesus, over here in chapter 8, let's uh, begin here, um, uh, the Jews said, uh, uh, verse 52, uh, the Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon, Abraham died and the prophets, and you say, if anyone keeps my words, he'll never taste death. You know, that's back to that Hebrews thing, he, he, he killed death. I, I just, you just got to get that in your brain. He killed death by dying. That's what all the fathers declare the church, five, first four centuries. 
Jesus came here to do something, not only forgive sin, but to deal with the great problem that human beings have, which is death. He killed it. He said, if you keep my words, you will never taste death. Surely you're not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus said, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he's our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. <laughs> yeah. You know, he wasn't always real compassionate at times. You know, he's like, you know, okay, I'll be a liar like you. Remember, they wanted to kill him, you know, and keep his word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And so the Jews said to him, you're not 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said, truly, truly. That's amen, amen. Which is backwards. Most rabbis would end their statements with amen, amen. Jesus flips it and says, you better listen up here. You better listen up. This is the truth. Before Abraham was, I am. Does that ring any bells? <laughs> what was God's, what is God's sacred name in Hebrew? I am. This is, they lost it. They then pick up stones to throw, to kill him. But he, he's in the temple. Jesus says, before Abraham, I am. In Greek, it's ego eimi, and it is the constant translation from the Old Testament of Yahweh. He just says, hey, before Abraham was, he, you know, he, he didn't say, grammatically, I would think he'd say, before Abraham was, I was too. But that's not going to put the truth out. But, you know, before Abraham was, I was too. He'd be okay then. they think he's crazy, but they wouldn't claim blasphemy. But he said, before Abraham was, I am. I am. And so Jesus takes on this flesh. He becomes a human being. He, he, he takes this on. Now, again, it took the church a while to get this all where they can articulate it. And if you're interested, I can give you resources here. But this matter of Jesus becoming human, of Jesus taking on flesh and being fully God and fully man. The incarnation is no small matter. So when we see Jesus now after the birth, after his coming into the world, and we don't see him for about 30 years, just one vignette when he's at the temple, when his parents lose him, you know. How would you like to lose the Son of God? You know? <laughs> You're forever known. Yeah. Yep, we lost the Son of God one day. <laughs> Never going to live that down, <clears throat> you know. Although I would come back and say, hey, Son of God, He knows where we are, okay? So take a, take a break. He knows where we are. But my, my concern in all of this is this. Not just celebrating Christmas and not just celebrating Easter, although wonderful, but celebrating the fact that God was willing to enter this sin-cursed world with all of its problems, take on the limitations of human experience to do some things for us we could not do for ourselves. That is good news to me. That, I, I, I'm just telling the older I get, the older I get, this story at Christmas becomes more mysterious to me 
it becomes more difficult to understand. It gets more difficult to comprehend, to think, wait a minute, I've seen babies before. Haven't you? God. What kind of God would do this? You know, uh, there are several religions, you know, uh, around the world. Uh, and and, and the, the kind of rallying cry or the cheerlead, I guess, for, it, for Judaism is, you know, uh, God is one. Okay. And in, in Islam, it's God is great. You know what it probably ought to be in Christianity? I mean, I know God is love. I know you yeah, got that. Y'all are Bible scholars. I know that. God is small. That's completely different. God is so great. He's small. He was willing to enter this world at every level of human existence, from gestation to birth to delivery to life to hunger to thirsty to being misunderstood to being betrayed by his friends to suffering to death. That's why the writer of Hebrews say, he's been tempted in every way as you were yet without sin. Therefore, we can come boldly to the throne of grace to receive grace and mercy to help in time of need. Why? He experienced it all. Why? Why? Well, here's what I want to ask you to consider. Here's what I want you to, the truth of the incarnation. <clears throat> I, 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 now, yeah, I'm not going to exhaust this. I don't think. I may exhaust you, but, uh, I, you know, my jo- part of it is, I mean, there are some things laying out here about the truth of the incarnation. We all understand. We all get. We get it all the time. You know, I go to chapel every, every week. You know, everybody thanks God for uh, Jesus for dying on the cross for us. I hardly ever hear about the resurrection. I hardly ever hear about, thank you, Jesus, for coming to show us a way to live. I, 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 don't, I don't hear people say, you know, thank you that you brought your kingdom to overcome the powers of darkness. I don't hear that. So I'm going to try to go at some areas that I don't hear very often. And maybe you don't either. I don't know. But the truth of the incarnation, certainly God's love for us. We know that. But I want to suggest there's something else here that maybe we don't talk much about. And, I, you know, I... Um, Herod got it. If you go read the, the Christmas story again, Herod got it. He asked those religious leaders who had been confronted by the wise men, where is he who is born king of the Jews? Herod got it. So his response was what? Kill him. Right? I text Marty one day in church. That probably shouldn't say this. <clears throat> and he texts me back. I know I shouldn't say that. But I said, Marty, there's a fascinating at least um, uh, allusion to Jesus' uh, birth and the circumstances. That this baby is born and the ruler or the king is going to try to kill him. That happened back in Exodus. There was a great leader for the people of God, Moses. 
and the king tried to kill him too. And this, in some scholars' minds, think that, that this is the new exodus. The new one who will lead God's people out of bondage. Not, not from the Romans, not from just, you know, their, their political situation, but out of bondage of sin. Like he said, he'll save his people from their sins. There's a fascinating allusion there. That it, many, many biblical scholars want to account for it to say, well, it's interesting, isn't it? You see, the wise men got it. And, and Herod got it. This was no just religious teacher. This wasn't somebody just coming to bring some new ethic or some new ethos to the world. It wasn't, it wasn't some new philosopher that had figured out the, the great problems of life. This was a king who had come, and I'm going to just say it this way, and you, you know, you can take it or, leave, or believe it or not. But I'll show you what I think is going on here. I think Jesus' entrance into the world was, for lack of a better word, an act of war. An act of war. He has come to set up the governance of God. Now, that's what the word kingdom means, basileia. Um, it, it means ruler or rule, the word governance. What, what is a kingdom? It's a place that's got a person named a king that runs the show. It's a place that there's a territory or an area that, that there's a king that runs this king. Go to Saudi Arabia, you're going to come under the authority of the king of Saudi Arabia. Right? In, in, in medieval times, if you went to another kingdom or another area, you came at it. So, so think about it. You know, look, look here in Mark real quick. You're in, are you in John? Some of you are doing your grocery list, but would you come back here? <clears throat> Get off Facebook. <clears throat> Mark. Mark. Uh, <clears throat> the first account of Jesus. He's been born. The, the years of silence. We know he, you know, again, went with his parents, but there are years of silence here. That is crazy to me. You know, here's what's interesting. You're there. I've got another idea. I'll be back in a minute. Uh, <clears throat> you know, there are lots of books that were circulating after Jesus' life that are called uh, apocryphal. They're crazy. They're, they're wild. Um, and there's always these arguments on television. I keep thinking, you know, there's these books. And, 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 you know, Jesus is like when he's one year old. is like building a statue. You know, or he's playing with his friends and, and uh, he says, you know, I'm the son of God. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding you. These, these are the gospel of Thomas and uh, the, 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 the epistle of, you know, you know, I know I'm God. No, you're not. Yeah, I am. No, you're not. Yeah, I am. Watch this. Picks up some dirt and goes bird and a bird flies off. <laughs> They're crazy. It, it, I think part of that is because it's so crazy to think that God would come into this world and for 30 years work as a carpenter. I would think the minute he could draw a, a, a breath, hey, I'm God, let's get this thing straightened out. And those apocryphal gospels do that all the time. I mean, it's comical, it's crazy. You know, uh, in one of them, uh, 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 Jesus and Peter are talking. And, and, and Peter says to Jesus, hey, well, what about Mary Magdalene? What do you mean? 
Well, she can't go to heaven. She's a girl. And Jesus said, well, that's not going to be a problem. I'm going to turn her into a guy. That didn't make it into the standard text of the New Testament. Bunch of knuckleheads at Nicaea. That's what it was. Just don't want to accept other ideas. That's crazy. So what I'm saying is, for us to have this long period of time of silence, it's crazy. You've been a Christian too long. <clears throat> You've been a This is God. Whew. Wow. Really? Are you sure? <laughs> you know, it, it, some friends and I, we talked about this, that, you know, all this gets unwound. I mean, there's all kinds of, my brain gets a Charlie horse in it with some of this stuff. I mean, this all, listen, and Paul said it this way. This all comes down to resurrection. This is all a bunch of kabuki theater if the resurrection doesn't verify it. Right? So, I mean, you can have trouble over here. You can have trouble thinking, man, how can a thinking person believe this? Well, go over to the resurrection. <laughs> that's, that's the final answer. Because it's hard. So, so here Jesus is lost in L.A. or something, you know. He's working at his dad's carpentry shop. We don't have any idea of him doing anything spectacular. You can say, well, you know, this is because rabbis have to be 30 years old to be Who cares if you're God? <laughs> Do something. You know, here we go. Leonardo da Vinci uh, statue. Poof. Now do you believe? So Jesus has all this time. So, so what's he up to? And, and what does he begin his ministry with? So we're here in Mark. You're still in Mark, right? You thought I forgot. I didn't. <clears throat> Mark 1, 14. Now, after John, that's his cousin, the Baptist, had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the good news of God. What was it? The time is fulfilled. I'm sure that rattled everybody's cage out of Daniel that knew the book of Daniel, 70 weeks, and this kingdom, and that kingdom, and 70 weeks, and 70, when he said, The time is fulfilled. What? The kingdom or the governance of God is at hand. Now, at hand, the Greek word means it's here. If I say to my students again, hey, the test is at hand, they know it's ready. Okay? The kingdom or the governance, I wish you'd use that term. It's a more, I think it's a more vibrant term. The kingdom of God, that's a noun. Let's put it into a verb. The rule of God. The governance of God is here in me because the ruler's here. Repent. Turn around. Change your mind. The Greek word metanoeo literally means to, to change the mind. About what? I would say it's this. Who's in charge now? Repentance isn't, I just believe in Jesus. When people say, I, believe, I say, as what? <laughs> you finish the sentence. I believe in Jesus as what? Savior, certainly. King. Lord. The governor. The one who I obey. So the kingdom is here. This is an invasion. 
This is the invasion of Jesus Christ into this world to set up, to establish the rule, the governance of God in the lives of people. In my thinking, because, you know, he does this in a backwater country called Israel. In this, you know, you could take a, you know, maybe there's another maybe. I thought about, you know, maybe Jesus doing this like that is the kind of the ultimate undercover boss show. <laughs> you know? Like, he dresses up like everybody else, and then you work a few weeks, and you find out this is the guy that owns the joint. Fascinating show. I've watched it a few times. It's fascinating. Kind of the Jesus here coming into the, to the world. He's the ultimate undercover boss. That again, people still don't know who he is. To go through the book of Mark, the disciples keep saying, Who is this guy? Who is this guy? You know, the only people in Mark that know who he is are demons. That'll tell you something. Take some spiritual insight to know who this guy is. He just looks like a regular Jewish fellow that worked in a carpentry store and, you know, has blue eyes and blonde hair. Seen all the pictures, haven't you? <laughs> Keep thinking, that's not what Jesus looked like. <laughs> it's, it's the undercover boss who's come in. Or maybe, maybe, I, maybe this is too harsh of a concept but it's like the 82nd Airborne being dropped in behind enemy lines. And they're going to start mopping this place up. They get dropped in behind enemy lines, you know. And then they get after it. How did Jesus reveal this was a war? I want to give you several ideas here. One is, when we look at his life in the incarnation, he regularly casts out devils. And he even said, if I cast out devils by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God is here. Because the Pharisees say, you cast out devils because you're part of that group. He said, no, no, no. If I cast out devils by the finger, think about that, the finger of God. He didn't have to use his whole hand. I'm just going to use my finger on this one, you know, right? Yeah, I'm just going to use my finger here. Here we go. Oh, no, I just had a thought. Anyway, um, keep going, Cliff. Uh, he cast out devils. Think about this. this. This is what? This is part of the invasion. Here, here's another one. He heals the sick. He heals the sick. Now, I got to tell you, I, I was really doing a lot of meditating on this past because I've been sick. <laughs> And as I meditate on thinking about this, I'm thinking, you know, I don't see healing happen very often anymore. I used to as a kid. Our church that we're a part of, we used to have, used to have a meeting in Indiana, and there was a building where there was a hall of wheelchairs and crutches and all kinds of stuff where people got healed. It was usually a real early prayer meeting, like 6 o'clock in the morning. I think only God hears those people. <laughs> rest of us that are lazy, he said, get up earlier. <laughs> you know, Steve Turner, some of us, and Wayne Ball, and others, we grew up in the Church of God, and that was kind of some regular stuff, wasn't it, Steve? Wayne? Here's what I wonder. And, I've been, and, I, and, I, and I really spent some time thinking about this and praying about this. I wonder if we would see more healings if we understood 
that in doing this, God is implementing his governance. It's not to make you live longer. It's not to make you feel better. It's not to alleviate suffering. It's to enact the governance of God. I'm wondering about this. Because I don't see it happening very often. And I'm wondering why. Has it become too much? Listen, I don't mean to be dismissive here. I know there are people in this class who have serious illness. I'm not trying to be dismissive. I am trying to say, has it become too much about us? Should it be more that we're enacting the kingdom? Not in some kind of authoritative way, but in some kind of way. You know, Jesus says, I'll give you authority. It's always interesting to me. I give you authority. You know, authority and power are not the same thing. You know, if I'm driving down the street, I will not do this. I'm on a recording. I won't do this. If I'm driving down the street, the police officer stands out in front of me like this and holds his hand up. I'm stopping because he has authority. I got the power. I can run over him. He can't stop my car with his hand, right? But he has authority. L- listen, I'm just trying to share with you what I'm trying to learn myself. I think that we've tried to yell and holler and scream and sound like we got all this power in the name of Jesus. And I'm not saying if you do that, that's bad. Right? That scare anybody? Okay. I'm afraid that people think it's a power issue. It's not a power issue. It's an authority issue. You don't have to get loud and scream, yell and holler, and you know, get the music up where it's so loud that all insects are killed. <laughs> it's authority. And I just feel, I'm just, you know, this, this could be Cliff and, you know, and I had pizza the other day too, so. But there is something rumbling in me about this idea of praying for people and believing God as an enacting of his governance over the powers of the evil one. Does that make sense? Jesus did that. He did that not just to alleviate suffering, I don't think. I I think he did it to say the kingdom of God is here. I read a book years ago by Peter Kreft called Christianity with Power. And talks about how in other parts of the world we see healing all the time. Why? They're on the front lines of establishing the kingdom. Here's my application for me and you. If you're sick or if you get sick. I mean, go to the doctor. I'm not not being goofy here. But would you ask God if there's a way and you're healing that the governance of God becomes more obvious to the world. Jesus, this invasion was casting out devils, healing sickness. Here's the other one. He showed power over creation. 
Remember when the storm came up? He said, be still. There it did. How many fish you got? Two. How many loads? Four. Bring it here. Here we go. Power over creation. Power over that food, nature. He, he, he confronted racism and bigotry. The, the woman at the well. He said, no, no, my, my governance is different. Or Zacchaeus who had betrayed his own people. He, he, he confronted dead or he confronted racism and bigotry. He said, that's not the way this kingdom works. That's the way the old kingdom works. This one doesn't work that way. I'm afraid that, that we just thought, you know, again, Jesus came on the cross and died. But we, we, we don't see this as an invasion. T turning the tables over in our world and our value system. He, he, he confronted dead ritual religion. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, you know, you know those guys. He confronted it. He wouldn't let it stand. He dealt with those guys. He confronted them. He was unwilling to surrender to their bias and to their dead religion. And he said, it's over. Finally, obviously, the great thing that one of the, many of the church fathers again talk about, we're going we're to discuss this next week, is that he, that he conquered death. That's the great enemy of human existence. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He raised others from the dead. Why? The governance of God. Over the governing of the prince of the power of the air. And so I want to suggest to you that the truth of the incarnation is this isn't just a little baby in a manger. And he's going to go die on the cross. Like that. He's come to enact an invasion. And he shows us devils, healing, creation, racism, bigotry, dead religion, raising the dead. So are we part of that? Do we, do we see Jesus here bringing the governance of God into our world? Next week, I want to discuss because I want to talk. I got another T. It's called the thrust of the incarnation. And here it is. I'll give it to you. We're not going to deal with it today. Trust me. I mean, everybody just looked at the clock and said, he's not doing three more. <laughs> I've been off for four weeks. <clears throat> the doors are locked. <clears throat> but I want you to think about this. This governance, if you will, this invasion has to do with three principal areas. The first one we already know, we'll deal with it briefly. It's our debt. Our debt, sin. Surely, yeah. Second one is to deal with the domain of darkness. Colossians there says that he delivered us to the kingdom of his, the governance of his dear son and delivers out of the kingdom of darkness. And third, I'm really excited about this one. Do some more work on it. Death. That's what Jesus came to destroy death. And as the church fathers often would say, 
He took on humanity and he tricked the devil. There's some really crude images they use. A trap, a hook, but he trampled death by dying. Athanasius and others say, this is why Christian martyrs went to the death singing. They weren't afraid of it anymore. Jesus had killed it. He kills death by dying. That's the invasion. That's the governance of God. So here's what I'm going to ask you. I, I didn't put this on your sheet. God, you know, here we go. Your application. When you wake up in the morning, when you wake up in the morning, I want you to decide, am I going to be a part of this governance or not? Today, am I going to be a part of this governance? That's called the kingdom. Am I going to be part of the governance today? This invasion against the powers of darkness, racism, bigotry, hatred, sickness, and death. Am I going to be part of that? You don't have to. And everything in the world will ask you not to. But will I be? Second, again, ask God. How does he want to implement his governance in your job, in your family, in your life, in your free time? in your spare time, in your neighborhood. How does he want to do that? I want to give you a new word here. The governance of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, who this is uh, bigger than we thought at times, we would love to see in our day the governance of God and our friends, our family, in our neighborhood, in our city, in our world. Help us to lean into that and allow you to be the king of this invasion that brings about life and vitality. We pray it in Jesus' strong name. Amen.